on to Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 41, verse 9. I think I'm there. Am I there? Do you have me back there? Hello? There I am. Okay. Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 55, verse 12. And then we will find the remainder of our text in 2 Samuel chapter 17. I have given them in the order of references. We will follow through the text and begin our message. I'd share this prayer request with you, please. Over the last, I guess, seven months or so, India has suffered catastrophic circumstances. Uh, in particular because of the pandemic, uh, the Delta variant that we find ourselves dealing with now on this side of the world, emerged in India. It's a place where the perfect storm can emerge. In Myanmar, Burma, there was the recent coup, and because of that military crisis, the country being subjected to such a violent upheaval as in India, so in Myanmar the doors are closed to where we cannot enter. I saw this over the last couple of days that Some are ready to declare Myanmar, Burma, a super spreader country, as, as they put it. And, but this they said, I told the preacher earlier, I said, though I uh, don't put much uh, stock in the uh, numbers, perhaps, as far as accuracy still, it gives you some idea they said within the next couple of weeks that half the country of Myanmar, half the population could have COVID. Now, I'm not saying that is accurate. I don't pretend to know. But I do think it gives you some idea of the crisis there. So please pray for India. Please pray for Myanmar. As long as we've been training God's servants in India, we've been training God's servants from Myanmar. And for about as long, uh, we've been training those who came from Nepal. And recently, Nepal has been in conversation in regards to our ministry. And I was told just the other day by a friend, that country is thought to be on the brink of upheaval. So please, please pray much for that region of the world. 
Now, I was instructed as far as where my water was at. I was told that mine was the bottle, and I said in response, understanding the inferred message, so you gave me one with a lid on it. Uh, you would have had to have been with us in former days to follow that line of thought. But I can be dangerous with a glass of water at the pulpit. Even if you bring me a second one right after that. With our Bibles open to the book of Psalms, Psalm 41. Would you stand together with me please? If you're able, I invite you to stand together with me. Psalm 41 verse 9. David speaks of a beloved counselor when he says with a sorrowful heart, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. In Psalm 55, we read still of his grief concerning that beloved counselor. When he said in verse 12, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. In those words, he speaks sorrowfully of a beloved counselor. But in 2 Samuel chapter 17, we read of a beastly monster. Ahithophel, who had been the counselor of David, is now allied with Absalom. He has given that treacherous son, already given him vile advice that would strike at the very heart of David. I'll begin reading in chapter 17, verse 1. That advice already being given, the Bible says, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night, 
and will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king only and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. Thankfully, the Lord intervened through the words that followed given by Hushai. But I think of that beloved counselor and this beastly monster. And I want to say they must be two different men. And in some manner they were. all the while being the same man. And I ask the question tonight, what makes such a beloved counselor such a beastly monster? It is the same threat with which every one of us has to deal. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Please help me to be a blessing to your people. We ask that you would tender us as we look forward to the remainder of this week. Lord, that we would search our hearts that we not be a hindrance to all that you want to do among us in the days to follow. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. I read the words of the psalmist, David, who speaks of such a beloved counselor with a broken heart. He describes the friendship they'd enjoyed in, in days gone by. But then I look to this narrative that describes the account of Ahithophel's alliance with Absalom. And I find myself looking upon such a beastly monster. I think to myself... How can they be the same? And yet they are. What made the one the other? Though he was but the same man. This story, like the coverings that hide our bitterness, must be lifted in its layers. Even as bitterness itself so oftentimes hides beneath the layers of our heart 
hidden away, waiting for that moment when it emerges and shows itself in such beastly fashion. I lift the layers and find myself reminded by the words of 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 34 that Ahithophel had a son whose name was Eliam. We're further told in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 3 that Eliam had a daughter whose name was Bathsheba. What was it that fueled his rage? Bathsheba was his granddaughter. Need I remind you of the story? How that David when he should have been at the battle. He looks out across the way. He sees a beautiful woman bathing herself. He longs for her. He takes her. He sends with her the granddaughter of Ahithophel. May I remind you of the subtlety of our bitterness? a threat with which each one of us will have to deal. I remind you of its subtlety in saying to you that by his bitterness, a man can be seemingly so right and yet so wrong. Let Ahithophel himself tell you the story and see if you do not sympathize with him in some measure. He would tell you how he remembered that day when his granddaughter married Uriah the Hittite, that man who was counted among David's mighty men, this great warrior. Let Ahithophel himself for the moment ply for your sympathies as he describes the manner in which David longing for a woman who was not his own when he could have had so many others and did. And then to hide his sin if it were not enough he arranged the murderous execution of Uriah even as he is showing his bravery. It's amazing how a man can be so right and yet still be so wrong.
There are many who harbor bitterness in their heart that can describe a story that will stir your sympathies just as quick. And the details of the story will be true. You say, preacher, such and such happened to me. It's the truth, I tell you, it's so. But the bitterness that emerges, it's amazing that a man can be so right and yet so wrong. Honestly, do you not sympathize with a man? Do you not feel some even slightest prick of his sorrow? His granddaughter! It's amazing how a man can seem so right, how he can seem so righteous. The Bible says that when Absalom sent for Ahithophel, that he was in his hometown even at that moment offering sacrifices. The scripture is careful to tell us. But as I look upon his bitterness, I remind you first how bitterness so easily rattled him. He had been a counselor to a king. David could have come to Ahithophel and explained a crisis in the moment of battle and asked him his opinion concerning the strategy. And Ahithophel, no doubt in former days, as in speaking with Absalom, was quick to survey the circumstances in his mind and describe some solutions, some way out. David could have come to him when the economy was slack and Ahithophel could have in expertise manner, addressed the fiscal crisis. But it was bitterness. 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 I know of preachers who did not waver in their doctrine. But they fell prey to bitterness. I know of churches with impressive ministries whose congregation in great number begin to fall prey to bitterness. I know of Christians who say, I did not compromise with the world. I held my standards high. 
but they fell prey to bitterness. Notice how bitterness so easily rattled him. He's described in his descent because we do not read of those days when he became so closely knit to David in the ascent, rather in the descent. As David looks back in sorrow and grieves over a friendship lost. Even when we look upon the narrative and think of his alliance with Absalom, we see him in his downfall as it has begun in its descent. Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world, Nepal. K2, the second highest mountain, Pakistan, though some in India will debate that location. The third highest mountain in the world, India, Kachadanga. But of all those who have climbed the steeps, and of their number, those who have died, more have died in the descent than the ascent. They have died more in number, making their way down from the summit than those who died trying to reach the top. There are so many who can speak of accomplishments in their life. Ahithophel had been a great counselor, but when we read of him in Scripture, he is in his descent. Oh, God, help us that when we could speak of former days having been faithful, that we do not fall prey to this subtle threat that made such a beloved counselor such a beastly monster. I notice of his bitterness how it so easily rattled him. And I notice how bitterness so sadly robbed him. Ahithophel would gain some measure of our sympathies if he told the story himself with tears flowing from his eyes. He took my granddaughter Uriah was one of the mighty men. But there was another mighty man who was of close kin to Ahithophel. And I am his own son. And we would try to reason with Ahithophel and tell him, 
Your bitterness is robbing you of so much. Yes, Uriah was among the mighty. Yes, that is a sad story. But your own son is among the mighty men. But Hithophel, realize that of which your bitterness robs you. Ahithophel. We heard that Bathsheba had a son. His name is Solomon. Ahithophel, by his reaction or lack of reaction, seemed to say from pages of Scripture, what means that to me? Think of what bitterness has taken from our lives. Lost years and lost opportunities, lost relationships at the grasp of bitterness. I remember years ago when I pastored my first church in South Carolina, how that a certain gentleman in the church became quite bitter. He was bothered, so very bothered, by the prison ministry. For certain reasons, I'll not take time to describe. But he told me one day, he said, Preacher, I won't be back. I pleaded with him. I said, how about your old drinking buddy? How about your dear friend? I said, you and I, we led him to the Lord in his restaurant that he owned in town. We watched as the tears fell from his eyes to the floor. I said, what of your friend? His family who've been coming to the church ever since. I said, how about your two sons? I said, both of those sons and their families in church, one of them. And he said to me, I don't care, preacher. I'm gone. And he left. Some years went by. I was in evangelism holding meetings not far from that area where I'd pastored. And I was somewhat surprised when I saw his son walk to the door of that church where I was preaching. And absolutely shocked when he followed behind. And then beside myself when while I was preaching, every now and then, that same man who had been so embittered in years gone by said amen. I thought, what's he up to? Usually I'm encouraged by an amen. That night I was a little unsettled. After the sermon, he came up to me. He said, preacher, he said, I was so wrong. 
He said, would you believe? He said, now God has me preaching in the prisons. He said, it would be such a delight if sometime you were traveling through and we could go preach in the prison together. I'll tell you, dear friend, there came a moment when he decided, bitterness has been robbing me long enough. I guess the first missionary biography I ever read when I was a student in a Christian high school was about Jim Elliott and the four other missionaries that labored with him in an attempt to reach the Aka Indians, those five missionaries who died martyrs' deaths. And then in the years that followed, those men having been killed by the Aka Indians that they longed to reach, their wives went back to labor among the very savages who had killed their husbands. Nate Saint was the pilot among them. His son, Steve, was later baptized by one of those very savages who having received the gospel became a child of God and a preacher of the gospel. Steve's, Steve, Nate's son, Saint's son, baptized, and then later, several of Steve's sons baptized by that same man who was guilty of Nate Saint's death. Sons, grandsons, baptized by this man, reached with the God. And I say to you, those dear saintly women could have described a heartache that would seemingly have excused bitterness. But they would not let it rob them of the opportunity, but went back and reached those very people who had killed their husbands. My friend, that story is ours to be encouraged by, to be stirred because they didn't let bitterness rob them of the opportunity. I don't know if I would have had such grace, but I do know this. I don't want bitterness in my life to rob me of what God wants to do in me and through me. And it's my prayer that in these early moments of the tent meeting, the inside tent meeting, that we'd fall on our face before God and say, Dear Lord, I don't want any touch of bitterness or ill spirit to rob us of all that you would be pleased to do among us. See how bitterness so easily rattled him. 
when you've accomplished so much, even being a counselor to a king, it'll surprise you how easily bitterness can rattle you. I see how bitterness so sadly robbed him. Why don't you decide bitterness will rob me no more? I notice thirdly how bitterness so subtly recruited him. We see Ahithophel allied with Absalom. Not because he so much finds himself in agreement with all of Absalom's dreams and desires, but rather to satisfy his own bitterness for an opportunity to even the score with David. What so transforms a man who was such a beloved counselor now becoming such a beastly monster Sadly, because of bitterness, many a Christian has found themselves fighting for the wrong side. When I was a very young fellow, I played baseball. I didn't say I was very good at baseball. I played, I played at baseball. I was so bad a player that I'm pretty sure when I walked up to the batter's box, the other team cheered. <laughs> I was considered the best player for the other team. I don't want to be the best player for the other team. See how his bitterness so subtly recruited it. You think Absalom was that convinced? My friend, here was opportunity. And he would take that opportunity. He said, choose out 12,000 men. I will arise and pursue after David this night. I will come upon him, he said. I will smite the king only. I will lead forth the soldiers. I will be the hero. I will have my vengeance. And he had been quick to say, this matter is between me and David. Oh no, dear friend. He didn't realize how much the matter was between him and God. There's many a person, perhaps somebody even tonight, who would say, 
This is between me and brother so-and-so. This is between me and sisters. My friend, it would surprise you perhaps to find out just how much in actuality it's between you and God. Because when the story is first brought up, it's the Lord Himself through the mouth of His prophet that gives the narrative. See how this bitterness so subtly recruited him. We would try to reason with Ahithophel. Don't you realize, man, if you kill David, you make your granddaughter a widow. That's going to make you happy. Do you understand, Ahithophel, that if you lead the army into battle, you may find yourself facing Eliam, your own son. Do you really want to invite such a circumstance where your granddaughter becomes a widow, where you find yourself on the field of battle facing your own son? Sometimes down south we would say, and I understand that the phrase is pretty widespread, that a person can get so mad he can't think straight. That happens a lot among the professing people of God. I see Christians that are eat up with bitterness, angry, ill spirit. And I want to reason with him and say, you're not thinking straight. And there was a crew of men that found themselves stranded on the shores of a remote island. And looking at the coconuts and the trees high above, they thought to themselves that they had found the, refresh, the refreshment that they craved, but only to find themselves disappointed because the monkeys very fearlessly were defending their high stronghold. So the captain simply said to the men, get your bags ready and throw rocks at the monkeys. <laughs> and they begin to throw the rocks. And the monkeys, having nothing else to throw, grabbed the coconuts and threw them back. So the sailors, they filled the bags and happily they left. <laughs> Let me tell you something different. Oftentimes, you and I, we're as gullible as those monkeys. We play right into the devil's hands. I think of how that bitterness so easily rattled him so sadly robbed him, so subtly recruited him. And so thoroughly ruined him. He had been a counselor. But do you know what his name literally means? His name literally means my brother is foolish. Some name for a counselor. 
I know a lot of Christians who are very quick to speak of how foolish their brother is. I think, my friend, that the transformation at the hand of bitterness might already be in process. The young man wasn't saved, but I can't help but think about him. Johnny brought him to church, told me my friend wants to get saved. So I talked with his friend. I asked him, I said, can you think of something that you did wrong? And he said, no, sir. I said, you don't have to tell me what it is. Just tell me, can you, can you think of anything that, that, you, that you did that? He said, no, sir. He said, I, I, I can't think of anything. He said, but I can tell you something Johnny did just last week. <laughs> Reminds me of many Christians who claim to be saved by the grace of God. My brother's foolish. What is it that transforms such a beloved counselor into such a beastly monster? In Psalm 41 verse 9, the Bible speaks of him as partaking bread with David. And there, as in so many other places in the Psalms, we see in a glimpse of the narrative a focus that looks beyond those years. That verse in particular, spoken by Christ, the words describing Judas who betrayed the Lord. Jesus said, He who ate bread with me has lifted his heel against me. How can it be that a man would find himself transformed from being a beloved counselor to such a beastly monster, even being so likened to a one such as Judas? His bitterness. Even though in some sense we think, could it not be rationalized in some measure? May I say to you that it was contrary to the Word of God? Please remember that David's repentance was as obvious as his sin was notorious. And what sweet passages we read of how he grieved in sorrow over what he had done and he rejoiced in the forgiveness that God gave. Ahithophel in his bitterness showed a heart that was so contrary to the Word of God that we read in our Bibles. May I remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 18 and verse 22. When Peter reasoning with the Lord, asked him, 
How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Now, think about that for a moment. Seven to the mind speaking of perfection and completeness and all oh, you can spiritualize the thought to great heights. Knowing Peter, I almost wonder to myself if one of the other disciples had just wronged him for the sixth time and Peter was glaring over at him. Probably not, but knowing Peter, that would have been kind of like him. Seven times, Lord. By the way, relationship is all about continual forgiveness as we walk one with another. And as the Lord walks with us, thankfully, He forgave us. If you were willing to forgive me seven times in a day, I hope that would be far more than enough for us to stay friends. That's just one time. Seven times in a day. We think that we have been so gracious if we just get past the one time. Furthermore, Peter perhaps was saying to the Lord, I want you to know I've been listening. For in Luke chapter 17 verse 4, Jesus said to His disciples, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, forgive him. So Peter perhaps is making some effort to say, Lord, I've been listening. But Jesus said, listen to this. Not seven times, but seventy times seven. By the way, the Bible says 70 times 7. The New International Version says 77 times. Jesus said 70 times 7. The New International Version and most every other version that corrupts the Scriptures says 77 times. You say, preacher, they've only clarified the text. Oh no, dear friend. They diluted the truth and watered down your Christianity. 
Peterson. Seven times. Jesus sinned. Seventy times. Seven. My friend, our bitterness is so contrary to the Word of God. Ahithophel's bitterness was contrary to the Word of God and it was contrary to the heart of God. Ahithophel, your granddaughter Bathsheba had a son. They named him Solomon. The Lord calls him Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. God has smiled upon them. But Ahithophel in his bitterness has a resolve that he won't relinquish. And when his counsel was defeated, Ahithophel went back to his hometown and he hanged himself. Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me lead the 12,000 in pursuit of the king. I'll smite the king only. The only one that died at Ahithophel's hands was himself. We're reminded of that phrase. Bitterness. Is that poison you consume. While hoping the other person dies. The only one who died at Ahithophel's hands. Was himself. This is how one story ends. Ahithophel is introduced to us in his descent. But let me tell you how another story begins. The Bible says that the family of Naomi had been in the land of Moab for so much longer than they should have stayed. Her husband had died. Her sons had died. She comes back to the land hearing of the blessings of God upon his people. And she said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Bitter. Her husband had died. Her two sons had died. We look at Ahithophel and we see the end of the story. But my friend... We look at Naomi and we see just the beginning of the story. May I say to you, 
that you don't have to live the first story. It doesn't have to end with you in the throes of bitterness. Even before the next chapter of your life begins, let some revision take place by the forgiveness of God. Cry out from your heart and say, Lord, bitterness has robbed me long enough. So many of our wounds are self-inflicted. Look what the devil did to me. Look what the two fighters, they step into the boxing ring. The match begins. In between rounds, the one fellow being roughed up says to his trainer, I can't take much more. Old champ, he's not laying a glove on you. You're doing great. Second round begins. Third round begins. In between rounds, it's the same thing. His trainer says, he's not touching you, champ. And the fighter looks back at him and says, then you better keep your eyes on the referee because somebody's killing me. Now, for some of us, we'd find ourselves wanting to blame anybody else in the ring when so oftentimes the wounds are self-inflicted. It was an educational moment, me and my daughters. I had oftentimes picked up a praying mantis, those little unimposing, very interesting insects, and allowed them to stroll across the palm of my hand. I picked up the largest one I had ever seen. And I held it there before the eyes of my daughters, and I said, see, they're absolutely harmless. Suddenly, one of my daughters gasped. I looked at my hand. It was streaming with blood. Something happens between the time they're very small and the time they get very big. They grow sharp spears on the ends of their legs. So many of our wounds are self-inflicted. I have a good friend who's a missionary in Australia. Gave me a boomerang. Thought I'd show my girls how to use it. Don't ask me how this happened. You know I'm talented. I can do stuff. I told them the secrets in the wrist. The wrist motion was fine. But these two fingers forgot to let loose the end of the boomerang. And it swung around, never leaving my grasp, and hit me in the head. Don't ask me how I can do it. I can do it. My smarty missionary friend in Australia sent me another special handcrafted boomerang 
that had padding on both ends. So many of our wounds are self-inflicted. Minor scratches compared to Ahithophel's end. Never forget, the only one who died at Ahithophel's hands was himself. Would you stand together with me, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder, just in these closing moments, are there those who would find their way to the altar and just on bended knees, you'd say, Lord, I don't want any, absolutely no, careless spirit of heart to rob us of all that you want to do this week. Some have come or there are others. As our brother plays softly, I invite you to come. That's it or there are others. Others are coming. Ahithophel is described in his descent. You may have climbed the summit. And there are so many who can speak of what they've done in days gone by. Only to discover later that they've been recruited as the best player for the other team. I don't want to be that fellow. Why don't you just resolve by God's grace? Bitterness has robbed you of all it's going to have. No more. No more. Preacher.